Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. Uh, this is a special edition in a way. Um, Scott Benson from uh, the very excellent Night in the Woods podcast that we had earlier, uh, one third of the team behind the wonderful game that so many of you and myself enjoy, uh, decided to come on again. Uh, he's our first repeat guest and we had so much to talk about that I've split this episode up into two parts. Uh, this part will come out today, uh, the day you're listening to it, and um, the second part will come out on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Uh, for those of you who are patrons uh, at the $5 level or, or above, or our uh, legacy patrons, um, this entire episode will be posted up on the Patreon page, uh, with along with Scott's questions and answers, which this time around I think totaled about 30 or 40 minutes, so they're certainly worth listening to. Um Again, that's patreon.com backslash Hagelbon. Uh, if any weeks of the week you choose to uh, subscribe, I think this should be the one. Lots of content uh, today. So please enjoy, and uh, yeah. Strunk, Hagelbon on Twitter, and I am happy to have again with us uh, one of the uh, triumvirate of uh, people who brought us Night in the Woods, uh, Scott Benson, our first return guest. Scott, welcome back. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, again, you can't get rid of me now. I know, I know. Now, now you're just like you're gonna get a cut. This is like you're gonna get all the all the director's points on IMDb. This is uh, this I'm is like dangerous. I'm like the ghost haunting your basement now. I, I come with the house that is this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll try to sell it, and you'll you'll show up and and scare away the buyers. You need to like burn some sage, or something. <laughs> I, I, think. I don't know. Sage smells kind of nice. I think like uh, might might keep you around. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, someone cooking chicken. Ooh, this is great. <laughs> I'm gonna stay for dinner. Uh, so uh, you're here to talk with us about a lot of stuff, but um, the sort of, I guess maybe uh, it's kind of pr- perfect for this game. The nebulous core that's drawing this all together is uh, the kind of difficult but also very appealing game, Kentucky Route Zero. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that and sort of where you see it taking us in terms of conversation? Uh, so I love Kentucky Route Zero more than more than almost any other game, and more than almost any other contemporary game. Certainly, it's the game that I'm most excited about and have been for. Jeez, five years now? Almost five years? Something like that? Um, wow, it's, it's an been epi- that long. Yeah, well, it's an episodic game. It was an early Kickstarter game. Um, and it's an episodic game. Uh, they release a new episode about every year, year and a half, something like that. They just released their fourth one um, not too long ago. Uh, was it end of last year or something like that? And um, They say the fifth one's coming out this year. 
Yeah, uh, I, I certainly hope fifth one's going to be the last one. I'm like really interested in seeing where it goes. Uh, but Kentucky Road Zero is uh, kind of a modern adventure game in the sense of uh, it takes a lot of uh, cues from classic adventure games, but eschews a lot of puzzles and like uh, inventory management, those kind of like trappings of like point and click stuff, and focuses a lot more on. Uh, the place you're in and the themes and uh, giving you kind of different ways of interacting with the world that are constantly surprising and unique and interesting. They do a lot of interesting things with the form. Um, and beyond that, they they have really wonderful characters and writing and art. And they also delve into some re- some themes that you don't see as much in, in games uh, or really any media. Um, so... Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's just it's it's fantastic. It's like a, it's a game that I think has, uh, at least in my opinion, like a lot uh, that that can kind of, uh, if you're looking for kind of like a, a way to talk about games as political games as you know either emancipatory or uh, I don't want to know if I want to say revolutionary because it's like that that means it's <laughs> different things, but things games that can do good in, like, a political sense. Mm. Um, I think uh, things like uh, Kentucky Route Zero is kind of one of them. But we can kind of get into all that. Yeah, and I think, like, one of the things, one of the adjectives I'd add to your list is also games as uh, cultural objects. And I know that's kind of, like, that's a bit nebulous, but Kentucky Route Zero strikes me as, like, this very interesting uh, cultural object. I've been playing it again and uh, going through the the first uh, chapters of the game or the first uh, acts and scenes of the game and I'll want to put some pressure on that language later. Um, you know, there's there's this embodiment of Kentucky in a certain way, um, but also an embodiment of um, the road or the highway system. Yes. Uh, it's a very much a love letter to driving, a love letter to sort of like driving across a, um, well, like sort of like a capital A American landscape, but also a lowercase a American landscape, very general, very much, uh, you know, it's grounded and geographical while also being totally general at the same time. Yeah, it is. Um, it has that dreamlike quality to it. And I don't mean dreamlike just in the fact that it can be surreal at times. Uh, I mean, in the sense of it's dreamlike in the sense of like, it's so specific, but so like, yeah, it, it could be almost anywhere. It's a feeling and it's mm. a feeling that you recognize if you spend any time in these places. And one of the things that is, makes it so incredibly precious to me and made it to, to me at least one of my biggest influences as a, as a game designer um, and as a writer on games is uh, is is that feeling is going oh wow that feeling that place that like I've spent so much of my time on the road so much of the, my time you know away from you know in quote unquote flyover country and I have such a huge fondness for it um, and this was the first game I ever played where I was like oh okay like my wife and I because we've traveled so much. Like we joke that like one of the only places that always that feels like home to us is like us like in a car like <laughs> listening to, to music on like an open highway somewhere just because we've and that sounds like really like cheesy but it's like accurate we just traveled so Sweet. much that it's <laughs> it's like a part of uh, I remember me and uh, Alex Navarro from Giant Bomb talking about this at one point because he's driven so much he's had opportunity to drive so much we were talking about American Truck Simulator okay. and how much we both enjoy it because of because of of that of that thing of just the like, no, the open road just actually feels like a different kind of home. And Kentucky Route Zero is one of the first games I've ever played. Still maybe the only one that gets those spaces completely right. 
Um, yeah, and it's it's very interesting in thinking about like why it does, right? So like when you when you talk about the open road, um, I'm reminded of like the first few days or the first not few days, the first uh, year or two I was living in uh, Chicago in a city, and like the first time I really didn't have the possibility of just like you know driving every day in front of me. Yeah. And there's something very freeing about that too, of course, like being able not to get into a car. I I miss that too, uh, but. When I was there, I would, you know, especially if I was feeling homesick or I was having a bad day or whatever, um, I'd get an urge to drive home. Mm-hmm. And home was, you know, 12 hours away, about, you know, four hours into that trip. I probably would have regretted it a little bit. Uh, but it was the sort of like pull of the highway, pull of something out there, pull of just like not being connected to something that was um, as static as, as the city can be, which mm-hmm. is not i think a way a lot of people who don't live in the city would think about it but you know you're in pittsburgh uh which is you know a big enough as bigger and bigger metropolis mm-hmm. um you know I, I think you could maybe understand what i'm saying um oh definitely yeah, like yeah when we move we've recently moved to kind of the su- the very southern tip of pittsburgh mm-hmm. we've lived in kind of all over the place and very kind of um inside picture uh, inside pittsburgh and uh now we live kind of kind of on the outskirts of it just because it's way cheaper to live here um sure. you, can, you can get a you can actually rent a house for not the, the artist lament yeah basically uh so um so we just moved in it's really nice um and stuff and but there's a there was a there's a road that runs down through uh the kind of the the hills area where we live in the south hills and I didn't know where it went. I have no idea where it goes. I was like, I realize I've never gone past this mall that's like, you know, uh, 10 miles down the highway from us or something or the, this main strip. And I was like, what's past that? What's past that? And like just last Sunday morning, Bethany and I, Bethany and my wife and I were like out getting breakfast at like the local place. And I was like, you want to just like get on that road and drive and see how like far we can go and see like where it takes <laughs> takes us. And so we did, and uh, we had to turn back because we were visiting a friend that morning, uh, our friend Dan, who runs Commonwealth Press. He's like an artist. He's really great. But like he, um, uh, but the other night we were just like, I was just like restless, and I'm, and I, I was like, okay, let's go back and like let's take it as far like you know we actually have time now. Let's go. We just drove, and like the sun was setting. It was like the gloaming or whatever. It's like after the so sun nice. is actually set, but it's yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah, it's where half of the night in the woods takes place. Um, but like um, <laughs> the, uh, but we just drove and drove and drove and we drove for like a half hour until we reached the interstate and it just dead ends into the interstate and stuff. And we're like, Oh God, we went one time when we were driving to Cincinnati or like Columbus, we went through here and mm. all this stuff. And then we saw like all these other roads that are like, off to the side and it's just like that kind of thing of like that call to just get out there i think and it, it's so cheesy because it's such like this stupid american like mythology like oh we got to get out there and explore the whole world's out there and stuff and you got to get a <laughs> ford truck to do it or something it's so like stupid but um the way that our our, our country is so huge <laughs> um, yeah no that, that's very true yeah it's massive um a friend of mine from from scotland she was over uh, and I, I asked her at one point, I'm, I'm like, you know, what's what's the big difference between that you feel like? What's what, you know, what are your what's your your impression being over here? Um, and she was like, well, I was flying out here. We were in L.A. at the time when I bumped into her. She's like, I was flying out here and like I just would look down and like your roads are so orderly. There's just he's like <laughs> she's talking about like, you know, in the Midwest where it really is just squares. Right. Oh, truly. Yeah, of all the, like you know, par- uh, partitioning out of. Uh, <laughs> stolen land but the um 
but she 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 was like yeah she's like over where i'm from she's like you know like the roads are just like curvy and it's like oh yeah it's because this was like a goat path like a thousand years ago that people just kept using and mm-hmm. now and now there's like churches and cemetery around it and you like you, you can't just rip it out and make a straight line she's, she's, she's like over here she's like she's like there's like a american optimism that's just like the oh we're gonna start here and build a road that goes over here and just build out the entire way and she, she's like and it's stupid and it but it's kind of like beautiful in its own way and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a lot of the U.S., like, stupid, but kind of beautiful. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Really, really not the brightest, but also you, you kind of... Yeah, and kind of it. built yeah. on all these horrors and stuff. Um, but since we are kind of inheriting it, the um, there, there, there is, there's this ideal of... There's there is, there's just a reality. It's not even like we, we sit here and choose to be like, yeah, I chose to be born here and I chose to have expansive highways. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like, I, and I'm like a massive proponent of no, actually, we need massive trouble, like we need bullet trains and all kinds of right. shit that are going everywhere, and so we can like not drive and we can uh, you know do all that. But having been said, there's just so much of it here um, that once you kind of start, if, if you travel a lot in your life, particularly if in your childhood or something, at some point it's going to start feeling a little claustrophobic if you aren't kind of out there, like, looking yeah. around, because so much space. Yeah, no, that's... And, the, of course, like, the childhood element is, is huge. Uh, I know I traveled a lot when I was a child, and it, yeah, it just gets in your blood a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing... I like the the example you gave of your friend from Scotland, because there's something... Um, you know, it's, it's also cheesy, but it's kind of uh culturally true too and and maybe culturally pernicious at the same point there's like there's something biological or um nearly biological uh not to be essentialist but to sort of be metaphorical uh about the way the country's set up right like in fact like imagining uh the highways as like a bloodline or or a system of veins or like the way the country flows right is not so wrong or is in fact like the most apt metaphor we have for the country um and I, I like thinking about the way that your windy road led right to the interstate, which is absolutely a night in the woods kind of metaphor. Oh, totally, yeah. In that, like, or not night in the woods, it's also a night in the woods metaphor, but also a, uh, it's actually totally a night in the woods metaphor. But what I was going to say was Kentucky Route Zero metaphor. Oh, yeah. Uh, in that, like, you know, when you're tooling around on the on the world map or the over map in the game, when you're just a wheel and it's, it's very um, uh, 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 minimalist, Every sort of small road you take, even if you forget where you are on the map, you end up right back at the interstate, right back at the interstate. And there is this way where, like, the smaller veins of tributaries always lead you back to the familiar place of, like, oh, it's 476, or, oh, it's 95, or, like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's Route 80. Yeah. And, like, oh, I know where this goes. Um, And I think, like, that, uh, that kind of, like, mix of total unknown and, and potential and also, uh, homeness or um sort of like the opposite of uncanny like Mm -hmm. the the actual home-like quality of um of interstates is what what kentucky route zero gets whereas like a game and i actually haven't played this game yet and i I would like to but a game like uh final fantasy 15 insofar as it pursues a road trip vibe as opposed to like this cultural metaphor doesn't quite get in the same way yeah my friend uh charles who played he played final fantasy 15 and and i I was like well i was interested in it because of the kind of americana road trip aspect of it i'm like i wanted to see kind of uh, you know kind of another culture's take on it 
And and he was basically like, nah, they take like some of the aesthetics of it, and that's about it. People have like mm. really bad southern accents, and they go to diners, <laughs> in like you know fifties diners, and are just like, yeah, sure. hi y'all. Um, which actually does make me now want like every every Final Fantasy game to have like bad southern drawls to it. Yeah, no, I mean like, why why don't they? Yeah, like this is a chocobo. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it'd be great. Like like canonically, all Final Fantasies take place in the South. Like the it's like the deep ass South you've never heard of. <laughs> and they're all they all still look the same, except they all have like the thickest drawliest yeah, southern accents. Basically, yeah, yeah that like uh, that that's kind of what I want. Like like Final Fantasy VII, Cloud Strife, <laughs> deepest deepest southern drawl possible. I mean, with Tifa, it would make sense. Tifa Lockhart's a very Southern Belle name. <laughs> that is that is really, really, really true. And there's like there's a cowboy in Final Fantasy VIII, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah, uh, because Final yeah, Fantasy VIII right. makes no sense. <laughs> oh, I Final Fantasy VIII is one of the uh, as like a just to say it because I can't hear Final Fantasy VIII and not think of this like is one of the moments of gaming where I truly just gave up on a game. I, was, oh yeah, uh, actually was same. A, yeah, there was a moment where you have to find a floating island in that game. On your on your and it's like on the third disc when we still had like four discs in a game, which yeah. is a very you know particular uh, memory. Mm-hmm. But I was on the third disc; it was quite a ways in, and I just could not find this island. And after about like two hours of searching, I was like, you know what? I give up. I, I give up <laughs> on this game. And I asked my cousin who found it. I was like, where did you find it? And he was like, it's easy to find. It's just like there. And it's just like you like, know, shut it's, up. I give up. I give up. Like, yeah. This game's done. That game was all kind of like there was like the pop song that went along with it, and mm, the fun card game. Yeah, yeah, which uh, I really loved in Final Fantasy IX. Mm. Uh, I was super good at whatever that was called, triple triad or something, and yeah. uh, and stuff. Nine was the last Final Fantasy that I really enjoyed. Um, I think it was also just an age thing. I was like nineteen at the time. Uh, and I think that's that was a good like, age for Final Fantasy, yeah, the last one. Yeah, definitely. And like I, because I hated ten, I really, really mm. still dislike ten. And the, uh, um, but I Final Fantasy six uh, came out when I was thirteen, and that was a really, really great age for Final Fantasy six. Like that was a year. Final Fantasy six came out the same year that Green Day's Dookie did. And oh. It's a really, really great. Did it really? Year. Thirteen, yeah, ninety four, I think. Um, okay. And stuff. It was just a really amazing year to be 13, and I, I lucked out in that sense. And because mm. like Final Fantasy VI, you have like endless time when you're 13, and that game requires endless time. It just blew my mind. I just had never seen a story that was that good, uh, and like characters that were like that well, cr- like well crafted in games and stuff. It was you know big influence on uh, our own game Night in the Woods. Sorry, it's going to come back to Night in the Woods occasionally. It should. I mean, that's you know that's why half the audience is listening at this point um i'm sure because you know you see you see your name and i'm I'm sure a bunch of people are, are super excited to hear insights on it you have quite the uh i'm like i'm super impressed with the uh i just i just love the game but i'm super impressed with the amount of uh, fandom you guys have built up it's like i feel like every day half the people that i see on twitter have a have like a may avatar or like a an avatar of someone from the game that's kind of like them. It's pretty neat. Yeah, we've been really fortunate. People have been super gracious. I mean, you can't, like... Uh, it's not like we set out to be like, let's make, you know, a game that's going to, like, you know, be super No, it doesn't, it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel crass. We're, we're, as, <laughs> we're as surprised as anyone. I, I am, certainly. Um, uh, definitely. Like, the fact that it's had, um, you know, we're three, four months out. 
because it'll be four months in like a, a few weeks uh, out from the release and we it's a weird narrative game with cartoon animals that talks about kind of some real world politics and some person really personal stuff about like mental health and all this other things we we definitely didn't think it would have kind of like the long tail it's had at all mm-hmm. like I pretty much regularly see people on my Twitter feed that I don't even know just talking about, like, hey, I'm playing this game Night in the Woods, and I'm like, hey, I know that game. <laughs> I, I have some relationship to that, that game. It's made in our living room. Um, but... What do you think about it? I'm not going to tell you my relationship first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do get people all the time who, who are like, they're like, oh, I just started following you. I thought you were just a really big Night in the Woods fan. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you had any, any hand in making it. I was like, oh, that's really, really funny. The key fan of that. Yeah, you're like you're like number one Night in the Woods super fan. You're just like, Jesus, guys, get over it, man. Oh, man. Uh, you just will not stop uh, talking uh, about Night in the Woods. talk about Night in the Woods. Anyway. Um, but no, I, I think like I can see the, I can see the relationship. And, and you think about Final Fantasy VI, and maybe in some ways like the freedom of an RPG, one of the reasons... Because I was I was ten nine or ten when in ninety four okay. I was nine in ninety four and ten in ninety five and I was ten when I got I got like the the one two punch of CDs of uh, Dookie and Offspring Smash oh yeah which really put me on a path uh-huh, certainly. uh huh certainly same yeah, sure of course yeah it's a, it's it's a it's a story as old as time but the uh, story as old as nineteen ninety five yep but um extremely old. Yeah, very old at this point. But uh yeah, I remember I would listen to albums, uh I listen to CDs when I would play RPGs, especially when I was level grinding. And so like uh certain games have a particular like C D memory to them, which, you know, for good and bad. Uh so Xenogears was uh I think Punkorama two I listened Holy to constantly. Shit. Yeah, yeah man. Too, man. That's right. Starts off with a coffee mug. Yes, it does. Yeah, the Descendants song. That's right. Or no, is that all? Or no, that's Descendants. That's Descendants. Descendants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do not um, mix all the Descendants. Please. Oh, they're, they 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 have some of the same members. They're I think all the same members except for Milo, I believe. Yeah, well, that's the important member, I guess. Uh, but, no, I like the Descendants much more than all. Anyway, uh, although actually, I feel bad because I do like all. But the uh, but like and for worse. Final Fantasy VII was all uh, Reload, the Metallica record. Oh no, uh, which is a, a drag. But no. I mean, I loved it at the time, and I no. I really listened to it a lot when I played Final Fantasy VII. Um, but there's this expansiveness, right? And there's this this emotive quality to listening to a, a record you really like, or listening to a CD you really like, and exploring someplace, even if it's someplace you've been a million times. Like I would listen to Godspeed You Black Emperor and drive up into the the hills near my house, even though I'd been there a million times. And that's like, it's something that made me feel good. And there's something about all of these games, right? Like night in the woods doesn't have level grinding. Kentucky Route zero doesn't have level grinding. And in some ways they're in most ways, they're much better for it. Um, I think in some ways though, there's that feeling of repetition of like going back over something of what, um, uh, the first theory bomb of the, of the podcast of what, uh, you know, Jacques Derrida would like in terms of like what he calls difference or the the um, the trace, which is like his version of um, if you draw his example is always if you draw a pencil line and then draw the line back over it, um, that second line still exists, but you can't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of his understanding of like the the instability of meaning, that there's always some sort of second suggestive quality of, of meaning over top the first. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's something to that in like both your game and uh, Kentucky Route Zero in that like 
you have to go over the same roads. You have to go past the same things. And the meaning keeps changing while still retaining its old qualities, which is something that I think is very true in most uh, classic JRPGs, too. I think so, yeah. The there is there's there's a kind of repetition um that like we when we were making night in the woods um one of the, like we had a word we just called it like um kind of like a daily ritual like mm. i mean and obviously ritual is a little different in meaning from what we're talking about here but like it's the idea that like no like every day you do something and i can think back to times in my life obviously most times any of us have had jobs where it's like every day I go to this one place every single day mm. I go to this one place and I watch as everything that is on the way there changes but stays the same yeah. um I the meaning of that place it it looks different sometimes I can remember like when I like first went to a place and it actually looking completely different because I look at because after a while you get used to looking at it from specific angles yeah. uh and you Even do as it, it changes. Un- you do it unconsciously, and so mm. you don't ever really see it like strange again. But going over it through time, you build up, yeah, this massive like bank, this like sediment of like <laughs> of of meaning that just like builds and builds and builds. Like I remember when I I worked at a grocery store for a bunch of years in my early twenties, just full time, because I didn't go to school or anything, and mm. um, I would walk from my house in Indiana PA that I was staying at um, and walk like two miles basically across town to the giant Eagle grocery store. And I do this every day, just there and back there and back there and back. And I have these really strong memories of like, Oh yeah, this, this part of my day had a really, really specific feeling to it. It has Mm. um, a thing that I look back now where as an artist, I'm like, I could try to do something that captures that like it, it's tangible enough that i could maybe try to capture it in something and i yeah. think with night in the woods you know people you know react into different ways like uh, some people were like oh it's too you know I, I hate having to walk back and forth across town and but a lot of people were like no this is i get it because this is this is this is the building of that routine yes like part point, of yeah. what is home and what is a place you know is the fact that you are forced to like tread those steps. Like you're like you're doing one of those like mindfulness labyrinths or something, <laughs> where it's just like you're just walking in circles. You're doing the rounds. There's like a ritual to it, and it puts you bodily there. It puts you mentally there uh, in a way that I don't think you can do with something that's ever novel. That's like that's completely novel all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's sort of like what you're describing is is the way that. Um routine becomes ritual or the difference between routine and ritual right mm-hmm. and i mean that's sort of like those two words can sort of mean the same thing they're synonymous in some ways but it seems to me what you're describing is actually kind of close to a ritual where you know you sort of enact the same thing over and over again and eventually imbue it with purpose and mm-hmm. by imbuing it with purpose you get some sort of result yeah um, i think routine and i don't mean that in a cynical way it's like it's good too oh definitely i think that routine maybe the differences and uh is that routine is something that's like ritual is something that has some sort of intrinsic meaning to it that mm-hmm. you've, you've created, whereas routine is maybe just a thing you find yourself in. Yeah. Uh, and I think and that's yeah, yeah. over time, I guess that thing you find yourself in can become something that you would imbue meaning to. Yeah, definitely. Naturally. Yeah. I think that that's just a natural thing we do. I think that's one of the things about art is just like, it's just a thing we do. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to separate it. Like when I, I, I talk about, I was talking to Alec who was, uh, who's, uh, the, uh, the coder on night in the woods, um, kind of co-director, co-designer on it. He, uh, oh, and he did the music too. The, um, 
but he was just in Japan and we were talking about trips the other day and I was talking about how uh, when I was younger and like in bands, I'd be like on tour and we'd go across the country and I'd feel like this whole thing of like, it's happening to me, but it's just like, it's happening fast and I can't, there's something about it that just doesn't feel like it's actually happening. Not like in an unreal mm-hmm. sense, but just it's like I'm standing in water and it's rushing past me. And so yeah. I, I have this notion of water, but I'm not like touching, I'm barely touching any part of the water. It's just like flying past. And I, I could never figure out what it was. And it, it wasn't until I, um, we, when Bethany and I got married, like in 2005, uh, one of our wedding presents was a camera, like a little, like, you know, kind of a nice little point and shoot, not like top of the line, but decent for 2005 standards. And yeah, no, the, I, I know they were like ubiquitous at that point, oh, right? like maybe like the little, like the little gray guys. Yeah. That kind of thing. Our, yeah, ours those are like fantastic. Step up from that, but basically, Ooh, uh, yeah, nice. uh, I know fancy, right? Um, no, super fancy. Yeah. But like, um, so we, um, we treasured that thing one because it was kind of expensive. And we could not afford anything at that point. But the yeah, your uh, first expensive thing is like is yeah, is pretty important. Protect it with your life. Um, <laughs> we're not gonna get another one. Uh, but um, it wasn't until then, and I was like going around and I was taking pictures, and I was like, oh, okay, now I feel like I'm experiencing this. And it's funny because people like look at it cynically, and be like, oh, you have to have this other thing that's like mediating your experience, and it's like, no, I, it, it's. In the same way that like Twitter is for me now to a degree or taking pictures with my phone, it's ways of grabbing onto moments. Mm-hmm. It's ways of taking something and like if I, I I have a really hard time just like quote unquote unplugging, but if I have a project to do and not like a to get like a really stressful project, but just like a no, I'm going to take pictures or I'm going to draw as we do this or something, then I can enjoy it in a way that's really meaningful to me that like feels like i'm grasping onto this thing it kind of makes time and place physical in ways that it, mm. that actual physical reality for me isn't uh, and i've talked to a lot of people who feel like that too like it's the it's the notion of now i'm engaging with it in this really specific manner i'm mindfully engaging with it and i am taking it and i'm internalizing it and i'm interpreting it in some in some fashion and that now when i'm like you know when we're driving I'm like taking pictures and it's like, yeah, okay, I was here. <laughs> this right. is like, I've grabbed onto this. There's a, you know, there's some aspect of Night in the Woods that are kind of like that. It's just a little thing of like, this is all rushing past you, but if you can kind of grab something and kind of hold on to it, mm-hmm. it kind of completely changes the meaning. And I think, um, like Kentucky Road Zero, one of the reasons why I think things like that have power, um, Okay, so like we talk about like representation in media, right? And Absolutely. It's, it's become such kind of like a, geez, this is gonna sound really like um, stupid, but like kind of this like progressive obsession that can occasionally get kind of like guys. There, there's there's actually more to politics than just this of like Scott. Scott, are you about to trigger some snowflakes? I'm about <laughs> totally, man. Whoa, <laughs> no safe space is here. Whoa, <laughs> sounds like you know like a klaxon, like. A, we need yeah, to... I'm gonna I'm gonna put the morning zoo. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wolf howling, uh, fart noise, toilet flush, toilet flushing. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, but uh, the um, but yeah, like we we talk about that and like there's the joke always of like someone will be like, oh yeah, well, like you know Lockheed Martin put out like their it gets better video and you're like, well that's good, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> This is right. actually, I mean, it's great that you have a diverse cast of people, a diverse staff of people making 
like being massive war profiteers and yeah. having <laughs> access to power and just being like these like massive death merchants. It's like I guess that's good because it speaks to larger institutional change uh you know it's like yeah you kind of have to bend over backwards to make it seem good again yeah yeah, you definitely do and like by the same time um there are aspects of representation that um are really powerful and are good beyond kind of i think the really bad ways that it gets talked about Mm -hmm. um you know people will obsess and obsess and obsess over you know, all, like representation in spaces where the representation is kind of like, well, all right, well, you know, more more women prison guards or something. And you're just like, uh, OK, I don't know if this is progress necessarily. Um, the um, not going to argue for less women prison guards. Yeah, I'm certainly right. not going to argue for less opportunity. But on the other hand, right, yeah, yeah, there, there's, exactly. there's kind of a larger issue here. So the um, uh, but something like um, Kentucky Route Zero uh, is playing it. I hadn't seen it's 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 part of a suite of a very very small group of games that for me um, discussed things and showed things that I had just never seen talked about in games before. Mm. Uh, someone who really likes games is someone who finds them has found them meaningful and just enjoys them. I'm playing a game right now as I talk to you because I can't sit still. But like the um, I actually tried to do it the other day when I was on a podcast and it really worked for me. I was playing Devil Daggers and I was just talking oh, nice. to. Yeah, it's Speaking super of routine fun. Ritual. Um, oh yeah, that's a that's a perfect ritual game. Um, but yeah, I was playing, and, and then my friend was like, the person I was doing the podcast with, uh, my my friend Matt was like, hey, what's that clacking sound? And I was like, oh man, like I can't, I can't play this without having the noise. Yeah, this is I have so a frustrating. controller and it's like under the desk right now, so I'm hoping that you don't hear the clicking. But if I it, I don't. If you're occasionally hear clicking, is clicking is because I'm playing Flint Hook. But the um, Ooh, how how is that? I really, really Sorry, love Flint Hook. I think it's really great. I have put okay. like 20 hours into it. It, right, it, it. It's become my, like, I'm on a podcast or I'm in a meeting or I just want to chill and, like, listen to something, uh, game. And you need those. Those are, like, really yeah. important. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so, like, Kentucky Road Zero, along with things like Cart Life and re- more recently Diaries of a Space Progenitor, um, were things that echoed material reality and places that I just hadn't seen before. And they did it in, in ways that were interesting. And um, as an artist, so like one of the cool things that art can do that's like political, <laughs> that's like directly political, right. is like a lot of times people feel certain ways, but they need permission. And they hmm. shouldn't. You can go like, well, they shouldn't. It's like, but yeah, sorry, they do. Like they 100% yeah. do. Like you can go back to like last year with like the, you know, the pr- Democratic primary. A lot of people felt the way that, you know, Sanders would talk about, about, you know, about capitalism. But Mm -hmm. no one, like, they maybe felt alienated from, it's not like there aren't people in society that talk about, like, you know, capitalism is having problems, but they needed someone to pop up in that specific way and say it in that fashion, and now they had permission to be a socialist or be a very left Democrat or something. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll give it my own sort of like origin story there. I like you know I origin story. Good lord, <laughs> sorry, it's late. Uh, I I get grandiose when it's late. Um, no, I, like you know I I remember reading uh, before I went to uh, end of my PhD program. A book we had to read was um, uh, David Harvey's uh, Brief History of Neoliberalism, which is a fantastic text. Um, and if you're ever 
you know, an argument where someone asks you to define neoliberalism, just you can send them that book. <laughs> um, it's it's a very it good definition. It exist, okay? It's a slur created by Bernie Bros. <laughs> by, by david harvey chief bernie bro yeah define it don't go to the dictionary okay. yeah. <laughs> oh no that, that was my main source yeah, he does. Uh, um. uh but the <laughs> the best tweet um but uh uh kath barbadora's tweet <laughs> that was so good so good this is like uh, really like this is very this this is some dank left twitter reference yeah, yeah hope, hopefully everyone just hit the 15 second thing twice and we're just like, <laughs> but um uh yeah no like harvey's book on neoliberalism is fascinating and i remember reading it and being like oh this is a critique of capital you're fine like i've i've read critiques of capital and then, like, seeing the way it all interconnected everything and seeing the fact that there was, like, this sustained push from, and here's the definition of neoliberalism, which you know, but and probably most of the audience knows, uh, from, like, sort of, like, 78 onward to deregulate capital uh, flows, uh, decouple them from the dollar, and, uh, you know, basically push more money into the uh, upper class and allow for basically the rich to get richer uh, as a matter of you know public and private policy uh and, and, and imposing of like austerity measures basically yes, as a way of yeah, yeah, subsidizing yeah. that yes yeah. very very important point yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so you know birth of the world bank worth of uh the the wto uh nafta etc cetera, etc cetera. um all sort of austerity measures and seeing that all written out though i mean like harvey's book is is a, a, an intro there's like there are problems with it and the problems generally are like wow it's not complicated enough but when you first start to see something like that as you say it gives you permission to sort of think about the world in a particular way that like without that sort of work it seems like a conspiracy or it seems like you're being overblown or it seems like you're being too you know uh, uh sensitive or something like that like you're you know you're not really working through the problem in the right way uh, but once you get permission to think about it that way, you can get a sort of clarity that's really kind of, uh, and it's not just with class. I mean, that's sort of like the one that comes to, to mind for me, but all sorts of people have these moments of, of permissive clarity mm -hmm. that I think are really important. Yeah, people do need permission. It, it, is, it is, I think it's just kind of, and we need it all the time. Like, so I kind of came up in the punk scene. We were just talking mm -hmm. about this uh, 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 before we were on air. air. Uh, but yeah. like, um, <laughs> Uh, I joke because I, I was raised really basically fundamentalist Christian, but I got into the punk scene and those were two things that kind of were in harmony and conflicted depending on when, because there's a huge Christian punk scene too. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so the, uh, and I joke that I'm like, oh yeah, like there were two basically huge guiding lights in like when I was like, uh, you know, coming up and kind of into my adult life, they were like, you know, Christ and like the punk scene and like, I still believe in the punk scene <laughs> to a degree. And it, it's funny because like uh, punk rock people will kind of like joke about it. And it's funny because punk rock does deserve to be joked about all the time. Like it's funny. It's silly. That's like the point. Uh, yeah, often. Exactly. Um, and sometimes it totally takes itself too seriously and does all this stuff. But like the, the good thing about punk rock and kind of that kind of DIY culture that was like part of it was that it was all about permission giving. It was all about mm. like the no, like don't say no at red lights. Like if like oh you like no one's doing this, do it yourself. Like no one is like oh you need help, like you know get some friends together and like you know see if you can call the community center and put on a show. There yeah. were these things that 
that were that both encouraged individual and group action. Like you can't be in the punk scene by yourself. Like you have to work with other people. Like you just have to. Like you can if you want to, if you want to actually be a part of it, you're going to have to work with other people. You're going to have to negotiate. You're going to have to figure out how to work uh, with them on some shared goals, which means you're probably going to have to learn how to compromise. You're going to have to learn how to get people excited about certain things. You're going to yeah. have to have some. Oftentimes, you know, depending on the space, it, it can be super idealistic and incredibly political. Um, punk rock as a the punk scene as an on ramp into radical politics and into organizing and into just having a general like fuck it let's do itness which i think is something you need if you are gonna be on the left at all um yeah the uh, optimism of the what is it i I was saying it earlier today pessimism of the spirit uh optimism of the will something like that but yeah Yeah, like you um gramscian and so like we can all like joke and be like oh yeah look at these kids and like who are you actually being different from and whatever blah, blah blah but it's like no actually the punk scene is a thing that was that was just like a thing people like ollied off of into all of these <laughs> other things. I look back at like so uh, you know I was like a teen in the '90s and like you should like people should just go like look at like the hardcore scene in the '90s and like be like yeah do you know how much like radical ass political action came out of that like in ways that are kind of cool and in ways that are just absolutely off the like, just nuts like yeah like go look up vegan Reich. Or something like <laughs> fucking like like shit got weird, man. And but like yeah. it also got people into the first time I ever heard about um, policing spaces for sexual assault, the, the hardcore scene. The first time I ever heard about queer anything, the punk scene. Mm-hmm. Like the first sure. time I heard about anti-war activism or anarchism, the punk scene. Like it was all there, and it's. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that kind of, you know, permission giving, that kind of like education that happens uh, in, in really kind of deregulated spaces just because um, it's part of it's part of the kind of the culture that you're a part of. And in some ways, unnecessary and in some ways that are just kind of adopted. Um, it's hugely, 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 hugely important for me and a lot of people I know. Uh, and it still is because I still listen to a decent amount of like punk rock stuff that's coming out and people it's the kids are still doing the same thing that's one of the things i love about it is like as i get older i'm like yeah people my age like everyone's like oh the teens are so much different than what i was i'm like no they're the exact same like exactly yeah, they're the same. same people yeah exactly bethany and i will occasionally be like by like the like in the, the new place we uh we live there's a, a mall down the road with a target we were we've been at target kind of like at like 10 10 p.m. or something a few times recently and it's just like it's it's like warm outside and there's just like like a friday night and there's like a gaggle of just gangly dorky like teens outside like doing cartwheels to impress each other and stuff and like laughing and whatever just and, and like you remember yeah and then there's just yeah. like the, the punk kids who are kind of like yeah man i'm gonna like jump off this thing and like we're just like goofing around <laughs> but in a slightly more anarchal way basically and yeah I'm like, yeah, this is exactly like there, there's just zero change at all. Um, and so I think that that kind of stuff remains vital and it changes over time because the kids change it um, as they go. And the stuff that kind of doesn't work because, you know, like particularly stuff like these scenes are so driven by the people in them, uh, mm-hmm. the uh that they change and they grow and they're vital because of that. And I think that coming back to Kentucky Route Zero, 
and games like that, like, that is something that is happening in games right now in a really cool way. I don't like to do the whole, like, games are punk rock thing because it's just like, oh, whatever. Like, I hate the whole kind of, like, what is punk rock? What is Yeah, the, this is the next punk yeah, rock. It's, yeah, it's like right. punk rock is punk rock. Other things are other things. It's just like a DIY scene. Yeah, exactly. Don't just call it what it yeah, is. Yeah, just call right. it. Yeah, just just be like, yeah, it's an... It's a it's a scene full of a lot of emerging artists. Like yeah. that's fine. Uh, but like you know, Cart Life, Kadokiri Zero, Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor. Those are those tend to be some of my touchstones. The um, those are kind of in the same way. They're they're people uh, making these things, representing things that you don't always see represented, but are super real. Uh, just incredibly like bone deep real to you, mm-hmm. and seeing them represented seeing them talked about with like dignity and humor and you know how we would want to talk about it like you need sometimes to see that like that is that gives permission um you know and that goes across like identities too like there's a lot of times when someone's like yeah i could not admit i was queer until i saw this and i was like okay yeah now i feel like i can do this a lot of people who are getting Mm -hmm. into left politics for the first time like you know, like left politics can be really, really, really alienating and kind of like gatekeepy unless you like really want to be part of like the subculture of it. It's just mm-hmm. like, like, you know, do you like do you belong to this specific group? Do you know, like dress a certain way and have these like symbols and stuff like that? Well, Yeah, that's the rose emoji, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's 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 all the stuff you're saying really resonates with me. And, and one of the reasons it does is because, you know, I think one of the one of the reasons that some old punks become conservative mm-hmm. um is because like it's it, it's a it's an inability to reckon with your own with the with the ruins of your own sort of youth mm-hmm. with the ruins of your own subcultures cuz like the point of all these punk subcultures is that they die and produce other subcultures yep. so like when you know they're temporary my, almost by design yeah exactly yeah. and so like my band's demos online and i think that's cool like oh. i can go to it i can listen to it yeah yeah i can i'll i'll link it <laughs> <with the podcast. laughs> please do yeah i know for sure um uh, it's yeah if you look up static boy uh, a year in the basement nice. uh, you'll find it um and i i'm so proud of it like it's you know i help produce it it's taught me a lot of stuff mm-hmm. I, I sing on one of the tracks and play bass it's great nice um and like that that part of my life was really important to me playing in a band was really important to me uh sounds like you had more success than me uh, but, well uh, no i just did it longer <laughs> yeah right well yeah that's exactly right okay um yeah same same sort of thing like you know community center stuff like that um although we didn't tour mm-hmm. but um you know, it's it's one of those things that like that meant a lot to me, but also that's not the same scene. Like thinking about when you mentioned like hearing about queer things in uh, or queer politics or queer mm-hmm. representation in uh, the punk scene, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I like you know when a friend told me about Limp Wrist, right, or um, the the hardcore band, the the gay hardcore band, um, and I was thinking like I was like I remember when I heard that I was like whoa that's weird like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not such a crazy thing anymore. But at the time, like, yeah, Limpress was like a radical band. Like that idea of like extremely tough queer hardcore mm-hmm. was super uh, out there. Was was different. Was like uh, was like something that no one had heard before. Um, and so now, like the the new scene is something that doesn't need that. It's not something that like you kind of go into punk. And I would imagine based on what the the dialogue is that I've seen in, in the current scene, it's a scene that's, like, more comfortable with queerness. Yeah, a little a bit. sort of takes that as a starting point as opposed to, like, somewhere you have to get. Um, yeah, I, I think the expectation, or there's more expectation, I'm sure there's loads of homophobia and bullshit. Sure, but, like, course, the, um, the, uh, the, there's the expectation, though, of, like, no, this is our scene and it should be, it should be different. There are people pushing back on it and those people aren't, like, 
whoa, where'd you come from? I think one of the yeah, it's 100% things that not can, the scene we were in. One of the things that can be bad, and we we're talking about like old punks becoming conservative, and I've definitely known a few, um, is because some people get into punk and don't go from that kind of reactionary teenage, like, fuck you, mom and dad type of way. <laughs> they don't go from there into the thing that I, I think is the best of, of what that can lead to, which is people like all the stuff I just talked about, people organizing and working together and stuff. One of the things I love about loved about like kind of like hardcore in like the eighties and nineties and stuff was that so much of it was about, okay, how do we take this and do mm. something b- bigger and more with it? Um, yeah. And, and stuff. And like the, um, uh, but some people never lose that whole thing of like, no, it's just about offending people. And you're like, well, yeah, like any sort of other thing, there's going to be people who are only ever in it to piss people off. Uh, right, and, but the provocation has to provoke towards something. Yeah, and and it just ended up being this thing where it's just like, you know, oh, triggering people, basically. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's like the most tiresome thing. And it's always sad when you meet like, because like, I meet people my age, I'm 35, I meet people who came up in the punk scene all the time. And we can talk, and there's an easy understanding there of, like, we have some similar touchstones philosophically and politically and things of that sort. And just a general manner of being there. there, Sometimes people will, like, play Night in the Woods, and they'll go, oh, I found out that you were in the punk scene when you were a kid. Oh, this makes a lot of sense, these characters now. Like, because there's there's just a vibe that you, that that, that's there, um, that sticks with you long after it's gone. Mm. And and it's a good vibe. It's something that I like a lot. The, uh, but... But if you kind of don't get that, like, you know, you meet like a 35 year old punk is just like super pissed off at what the kids are listening to today. And they're just like, oh, the kids are just so like safe spaces and whatever. And you're just like, this is just sad, man. <laughs> like, yeah, you didn't you didn't get the point. Did, did you like, never just... move on? Did you never take this and make this into something interesting? Like, yeah. Are you still just that kid who's just like, man, I'm a rebel. It's just like, Ugh, but what does that mean? Like, did you never define what that means <laughs> beyond that? Um, yeah, I think like there's there's two ways there's two things I'm hearing there are two things I'm thinking that come from that. The one is I actually mentioned to weirdly, um, just because I was talking to him recently for the first time in a while, the vocalist from my band, um, he was talking about games he was playing, and I was like, oh, have you played Night in the Woods? Like, I think you'd like it because it's it. He was in the punk scene. It struck me as something that would he would appreciate. And he was like, he's like, yeah, man, I've been watching some playthroughs of that. He's like, uh, the game's got a lot of heart, and uh, and I think like on a certain level that's kind of the point, like. Uh, having a lot of heart like being having like kind of a soul or a uh i don't know how what cheesy way to say this but like being an underdog in the good way not in the not in the fascist way yeah. uh is is like that's that's something really important for punk and i think like the way that going back to kentucky Route zero what i find so the the, the image that sticks with me in kentucky Route zero and it's not like a super um uh, original image but the image that sticks with me is uh during the first act when you um when you finally like fix the TV and the house opens up into the zero. Uh, so for anyone who hasn't played the game, that's the gibberish, but basically um, that is really gibberish, but yeah, yeah, it's true gibberish. I think we're uh, but, a tiny bit of knowledge. Just go play Kentucky Route zero and then come back. It's really Just good. Go do it. Um, like hours long. The, yeah. It's you'll, you'll get through it real fast. It's, it's fantastic. Um, the just like to give you a, ta- a, a taste the first bit of the game is about you trying to find this kind of like strange route between places that is the they call the zero. It's the Kentucky Route Zero, um, and it ends up being 
a lot of things. Uh, this rhizomatic sort of like very strange Deleuzian uh, place, uh, or you know, non-jargony. It's just really weird and interesting and, <laughs> and heady. Um, Has a lot of forms that uh, a yeah. lot of different things that kind of like make sense when you're playing them. But if you try to explain it, you're just like, then they're on a mm-hmm. thing and there's a cave and depending on <laughs> if it's roll clockwise or counter, yeah, it's it's its own thing, yeah. But there's like there's something really cool about that growing out of the initial part of the game, which is still really beautiful. And maybe we can I I, I kind of want to ask you. Um, I like the way this is just evolving organically, but I do want to ask you about um, uh, Rust Belt Gothic. And I think, like, in some ways this comes out of that insofar as, like, and I'm guessing, but the early part of the game you're driving around, right, you're using that little, like, overmap wheel, Mm -hmm. and you come across these places that are just very surreal and very strange, but before you break into the truly surreal, truly sort of, like, uh, trippy areas in in, uh, uh, Kentucky Road Zero, um, they're also just kind of these sad places. I'm thinking like of the, and I, you know, just played this part again, uh, right before we were talking, uh, the church you run across at the beginning. I don't know if you remember that where like the music is playing on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it's just text. There's no graphical interface. It's, it's, it's very, uh, Zork in its own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it says like, you know, you walk in, you can make all these choices where you're going to go and stuff. Uh, but essentially your character Conway, uh, goes into this church, comes in through the back. It sounds like all these people are singing the same two verses over and over again. Um, and as you get inside closer and closer, the audio sounds more and more tinny, and you walk in, and it in the middle of the sanctuary is just this tape recorder plugged in mm-hmm. that um, is playing the hymn. Yeah. Right? And so you can unplug the tape recorder, and everything goes dark, and you can't go in the church again. Um, God. And it, it's... Yeah. Hmm? No, 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 I was gonna interrupt, but like, I, let me Please. let me, let me I'll, I'll, when you're done, I'll, let me come back to the the tape player church thing because that actually comes in later too in a really beautiful way. But yeah, yeah, oh, well, great, yeah. Um, and and you know, it's just like it's this it's this kind of perfect moment of depressiveness and like surreality. Like it obviously the game starts off being kind of weird. Uh, you know, in the in the first kind of five minutes of the game, you you encounter your first kind of like glitches, ghosts, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment is also so material and so like true to like what you might find in an old abandoned road and, or what you imagine, mm-hmm. let's say that even, even better, you might find in an old abandoned road in Kentucky that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a residual quality or like a, a resentfulness that you could attach to that. And the game just totally blows it up when you go into the zero, when you enter into like the true weirdness of the game mm-hmm. um, in saying like, no, 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 this isn't it. Like there's more to it. Yeah. And it opens that up like lickety split right after you get there, which is just such a smart way of getting past that. It, uh, God. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. Like Kentucky zero is like one of the only games I get like emotional about. It's so good. It's so like, I, I'm an atheist, ex-Christian or whatever, but I, I, I don't use the term spiritual very often. But, like, um, Kentucky Route Zero, one of the reasons I, I like it, and I've actually heard them talk about this before, it's something that uh, is kind of been a huge thing uh, of mine is maybe one of the reasons why I connected it with, with it so hard, is um, they'll also name drop Flannery O'Connor as, like, an influence, which is, like, a big influence mm. on me. It's a big influence on in the woods. Um, in the sense of, like, imbuing these spaces, like, looking for kind of these this kind of numinous quality to them. Um, the, the of these spaces that are sometimes ugly, that are sometimes the mark of privation or ruin 
or something uh, in going there and not just seeing just that and going like, oh, this place is like ruined porn or something, which is like 95% of when everyone, anyone, like particularly in games, oh, honestly, God, yeah. because games are, because of their mechanics are all, often necessarily extraordinarily exploitative of whatever subject matter they're talking about because your goal is to conquer and be the best at it. So it's just like, yeah, go and exploit this as much as humanly possible. Um <laughs> And right, uh, Kentucky or Zero um, really, really um, throws that like completely off to the side. Like, there's no kind of conquering or anything. You're you're a tourist. Like, but not even a tourist. You have a job to do. You're not going there for fun. You are. The, yeah, you're delivering antiques. Yeah, and your whole thing is like, I have to make this delivery, and so I'm going to go through all these different places and get wrapped <laughs> up in all these people's lives. There's like a dozens of characters and stuff that you run into who are all, like, doing their own thing. And so later on, you were talking about that tape in the church. Yeah. I think the first inkling I had that this game was beyond just something, because I really enjoyed the first act. You're driving around, you meet Shannon, uh, who is a TV, uh, she repairs TVs. Uh, She's really Yeah, her sister is Weaver, who's this kind of slightly ghostly figure that you meet occasionally. Uh throughout she's an artist one of the supplemental games is going to i believe her art uh exhibits like her kind of weird sculpture and installation art stuff um the game has like a um a game has so many weird uh, preoccupations one of which is different kinds of experimental like avant-garde art but a lot of it is either performance theater type stuff or really weird sculpture or like kind of procedurally made things um it's all these uh, things that, I, I, at least for me, have a lot to do with spaces and what we do in spaces. Yeah, I would And agree kind of fixing spaces, rearranging spaces. The game has a huge fixation on spaces. Um, but uh, so in that one, in, in the first one, you end up uh, the on-ramp to the zero is supposedly through this mine. One of the first moments where you're like, yeah, this is going to be a weird game. <laughs> but like, so you go through this mine and... With Shannon, her parents were killed in a mine, in a uh, flooding of a mine. Her and then like they lost their house, their farmhouse, and um, uh, and so then that, so you get your first like inkling of like oh, okay, this game also is interested in these like very material realities of these kind of areas. Um, right. And you go through this mine and you uh, you find um, there's uh, there's this little stage built down in one of the branches of the mine that you can like kind of roll down to. And uh, she yeah. talks about how like, Oh yeah, they built this because there were music like archivists, archivalists, archivers, people who archive. Uh, you got, I think it's archivalists. I think you got it. Uh, who yeah. were, who were going around and documenting like folk songs and folk kind of like histories and stuff um, of the people who were mining there. Um, it was funny because I was listening to. I remember when I played this, I had been recently listening a lot to that uh, anthology of American folk music that from like the 60s. Oh, don't don't tell me it's by Alan Lomax because that's exactly where my mind. Oh yeah, is. yeah, like the, the multi-volume one. Yeah, I I listened. I spent so much time listening to the Alan Lomax prison mm-hmm. songs tape. It's an. I mean, he is just an incredible archivalist. Oh, yeah, that's um, excellent. Uh, and it's immediately what I thought of. Uh, Bethany and so. I are we have like a, a lot of connections to kind of folk music. Kind of like modern folk music isn't as much of a thing because it's just so cute and like it it's is so very cute, cute and pretty, and everyone is thin and attractive and living in Brooklyn. 
and like whispering, whereas like older older folk music is like loud and violent and sad and like happy. It's just wears so much of itself on its sleeve. Like the furthest thing away it is is kind of twee um, or precious. It's you know about death and love and God and tragedy and shit. It's like these like really like biblical <laughs> shit. Um, yeah. So, like that's what we kind of like really love about it. And one of the things uh, that so anyway so in uh, the game the um, uh, there's yeah they're going down and they're archiving uh, these these music and there's these tapes um, and so there's that there's like that whole thing of like we're preserving something on tape and tape is this kind of like fragile medium almost like I feel like there's something about the fact that it's like no it's it's in this object they didn't preserve it digitally it's another thing in this game that is like it's a precious object that can decay and be destroyed mm. like everything else in the game the the in the in the second act there's a place called the bureau of reclaimed spaces that you go to um and yeah. it is just this ridiculous bureaucracy and it's like yeah we move people out of houses and then those houses become something else just almost arbitrarily they have their own things you can barely make it out you have to go to it's like a it's like kafka-esque or whatever it's just like <laughs> oh you have to get this form oh that form is over here oh you can't get in here because you didn't get this form it's just you're just trapped in this kind of bureaucracy. The people who work there barely know how it works. And they're kind of sympathetic to you often, but they're just like, I, you have to go here, sorry. But the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces is in a cathedral or like like an old like church or something. And they move the church that had been there to a storage locker, basically. <laughs> and there's a story, and this is one of the game kind of, I think, first grabbed me in a way of like, oh, this is other than it just being interesting and weird, like... You go to the storage locker, and there's like a custodian there, and you can you can talk to him about the church uh, that that got moved there, and he's like, yeah, like you know, came through and they had to move and stuff, uh, and they they moved them down here, and they, you know they like their bureau moved into the church building, the church started moving down here, but after a while, you know, like a couple of people started not showing up, and then like once that happened, it was kind of basically like the stench of doom was on the place which happens in real life right yeah yeah Um, of course and but they you know the guy there are all these tapes of the sermons and the services and the the custodian just goes there now and like when he's working like the shift just listens to the tapes like all the time and you can listen to the tapes Mm -hmm. and it's just this kind of church music and stuff kind of playing in the background is echoing throughout this like kind of very artificial storage space. <laughs> there is something about that that felt so true to life, like felt so true to you drive past a, like a church and it's this empty or whatever, or it's been turned into condos. If you're in like a quote unquote revitalizing place or something, but then you'll go past this like old like storefront and there's like a church that has moved in there instead. Um, or like churches, I mean, the Baptist church that I was a part of a lot in high school was kind of slowly dying, and uh, for a lot of different reasons, like the like the pastor had left, and like one of the deacons was having an affair with someone else, and was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it. it kind of, and but then as soon as like a few people started leaving, like everyone started leaving because just just the vibe was broken, like the spirit of that place was just, I mean, not literally, but it was just kind of like snapped. And so the idea of this huge bureaucracy coming and pushing people out of these these spaces, these historical spaces, these community places into more commodified zones like storage lockers or something 
And then eventually all that's left is some, like, record of them that someone who's working there, who's, you know, a, a, an employee, can access and try to, like, feel like it's still there. That is just so, like, I just have never seen anything like that talked about in a game before. Like, and just something that was so true in so many places, in so many ways. So the other way that this comes in, the kind of, like, the, the third way, I guess, that the, I think third I forget how many I've done, but like the way that those, that those tapes came in, come in is um, the characters of Junebug and Johnny, who are kind of like favorites of everyone. Junebug and Johnny show <laughs> up in episode three, and they were yeah. robots designed to take over after that mine had been flooded because the people couldn't get in there anymore. So you know, automation. Uh, <laughs> um, right, right. They sure. they were you know just human sized robots, uh, just kind of gray metal. And while they were down there, they discovered those tapes of the folk music. And there's this amazing line that almost made me cry when I read it. It was just like, we listened to this music and we realized we weren't minors uh, hmm. and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, I heard this thing and this thing gave me permission. It, it told me something about myself that I didn't know. Um, and it was at that point that I realized that this thing that I had been that I was designed to do almost this kind of identityless thing that was like only defined by my usefulness to capital. Basically <laughs> I, I heard this. And at that point I, I knew that there wasn't, that this wasn't me. This wasn't all there was to me. And mm. um, June bug and Johnny leave had basically started synth, a traveling synth pop band, which is hilarious. <laughs> but they're just like riding along in a motorcycle and sidecar, like all throughout like Kentucky, like all along the zero, just playing these dive bars um, to almost no one. And it's this right. beautiful, beautiful thing where they're like, yeah, we left and we've been on the road and we've been filling in details of ourselves ever since. They're, they're like, mm. oh yeah, and I had to figure out how I dress. I had to figure out like what my hair is going to look like. I had to figure out all these things and I was like coloring in all these, all these aspects of myself. And yet there's something that like, you know, we, we snicker and go, oh, it's just individualism. It's like, we're like Adam Curtis and like hypernormalization being like, they retreated to the inside world or something. But like, <laughs> Good out of Thank you. Um, the um, we're actually watching that for a project that we're doing, but like uh, the and the, yeah, I think there's something like that when you have like a generational thing where people um, take that and stop there. When you take the the individualization, the I've learned this about myself, it's it's turned me into something different, and uh, and stop there. Yeah, that's a problem. But I think that uh, particularly if you're kind of marginalized, or particularly if you're if you are just you know. Like you're needing that permission. You're needing something to tell you that you are important, that you exist and art that can, that can teach you that can like create this kind of consciousness. Like art can create class consciousness, uh, create right. consciousness of all these different things. Like June bug and Johnny are these amazing examples to me of like the, yeah, we were every single part of us is created just to serve capital. And at some point we realized when we heard this music, when we encountered this, thing we were we were just changed like it was like they didn't necessarily make a decision it just happened to them there's something about art and games in particular and stuff like that that can bypass all that other stuff and just hit you directly in the gut and then and when that works it can completely remake so much about you um and the game gets to that really well in like a really efficient manner with those two characters yeah, I think it's it, one of the things that I've been really interested in recently talking to folks about video games are, it seems to be a very recent phenomenon, but I, I think Kentucky Route Zero is doing it in a very complicated way, but games that sort of uh, 
auto critique their own uh, genre conventions. So um, someone brought it up as uh, in terms of like uh, Undertale being a um, an auto critique of of JRPGs, which I, certainly it is. Um, or uh, someone mentioned in the podcast, I, I well, it won't be the day when this comes up, but my last podcast uh, mentioned um, uh, zero, the Zero Escape games as examples of games that auto-critique um, uh, visual mm-hmm. novels. And so, like, there's this sort of, like, games that question their own, uh, the, the, the conditions of their own conventions, right? Um, but what's really interesting about Kentucky Route Zero and, and the example you gave with the, with the janitor listening to the tapes in the, in the storage locker, um, there's this way in which, like, it doesn't just question its own condition as like an adventure game, although there are many ways that it does. Um, I would say like the fact that it's set, set up into acts, right? Uh, very, this is a total aside, so I'll get right back to it. But the fact that it's set up into acts and scenes suggests its linearity like is not just a mistake or, or an accident. Like they couldn't think of anything mm-hmm. better. It's like completely intentional and like you're just moving through the game. Like there's, it's not linear entirely, but it's it's very much a direct. Yeah, story. it's it's theatrical. Yeah, right. Um, but the other thing I think is really interesting about outside of just like thinking about the actual conventions of an adventure game, is that the game questions the ability of the of like video games themselves, or not just questions, but um, more importantly, asserts the ability of video games them, it themselves, or art itself, or digital. Uh, replications of something uh or just replications in general of something to produce consciousness as you said so thinking about like the janitor experiencing those the the church music and the sermons in the storage locker and getting something out Mm -hmm. of it there's this way in which i think a pessimistic perspective might say like well is he getting the problem of uh ideology out of it or is he getting the problem of you know moving uh the you know the total commodification of uh faith and culture Mm -hmm. out of it or is he getting the sort of like precarity of space out of it um but the answer to that sort of has to be it doesn't matter it matters that he's listening to something and getting a different perspective out of it which is a building of consciousness which is of course like this very nebulous very hard to pin down thing Mm -hmm. that can lead to materiality but it's volatile. It's yeah. difficult. It's all surreal. art is fucking messy. It gets like all over the place. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I can point to the punk scene. I can point to things like Kentucky or zero and go, these are massively important in my life and have created these really important core things. Like, and that too, like my politics, if they're any good, come from a lot of these kinds of things more than they come from like, you know, studying or something like they, they started <laughs> off, they started sure. off as like, my own experiences of working, you know, like the reason why something like Kentucky Road Zero clicked with me was because I'd experienced something like this. And this was something that that said, this is a thing. This is not just you. This is a thing. Right. And it is terrible that you went through and uh, that, that you went through and it's bad. But there's also this beauty in it and how we and how we learn to survive. That doesn't mean it's good. It's it's bad. We should fight it. We should, you know, whatever. But, like, um, just acknowledging that, like, I don't know. Like, So I went to, like, my first, like, we're talking about kind of what you were saying about, like, the messiness of it and kind of the consciousness of it. I went to, like, our first DSA meeting, Democratic Socialist meeting, in, like, December, right? Like, uh, the Pittsburgh chapter got kicked off, like, in December. It was great because, like, 100 people showed up to the first one. And every, I think everyone was expecting, like, 10 people to show up. Um, it was just a packed <laughs> room. 
And That's there fantastic. was like, we, we were like, okay, well, we can't just go around and introduce all of ourselves and talk about because it it's going to take forever. So we're going to split up into a few groups and we're going to go off and we're going to talk about, you know, it's like, why are you here? Like, what what's the thing? And we got into a room and we we're talking about it and it was just our, you know, permission or whatever to just talk about all the different ways capitalism has fucked us over. <laughs> and yeah. people were almost crying. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it is. And it, and it's just like, just the, the wonder of being recognized of recognition of going, Oh my God, that's, that's me. Like it's, I'm not alone. Like that it's humanizing. And it's, and I think that when you talk about consciousness and whatever, and the kind of the nebulousness of it, I think that's part of it is just that this is really messy stuff. And, but Mm -hmm. the, it's messy because it cuts as deep as anything can. Uh, because looking around a room and going, oh, someone else's like dad started drinking because of debt, which happens in Kentucky Route Zero too. Um, or mm-hmm. someone else was in this position where they were on, you know, they were on welfare, and then like in the '90s with the whole welfare reform, their mom suddenly had to go and find a job in this other place and whatever, and it screwed up their life. Or people who were under debt or people who just could not hold down a job and just the degradation, the dehumanization of that being in a space where people go, yeah, that's a thing. That's not you. That's not you being like faulty. Yeah. It's, it's, there's something about that kind of thing. So like, I don't know. I think that something like even that thing with like the janitor listening to the tapes. Yeah. Like it kind of almost doesn't matter because this is the stuff. This is where that weird nebulous work gets done. So it's like you have to give it that space to get done if it's going to get done at all. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of like I think one of the things we have to fight oh, we have to fight through as like contemporary Marxists is getting over the baggage of certain terms and getting over is the wrong word because the baggage mm-hmm. is real. You know, as we've talked about before, like individualism has its sort of definitely baggage, right? you, rightly so. You, you want to be careful that you're yeah. not yeah you're not just playing into this idea that like yeah you know if we have. 10% more diversity in our CEOs than everything's yeah. hunky dory. Um, you know, or uh, baggage in terms of recognition, which kind of cuts in the orthodox way towards, well, not quite orthodox, but more orthodox way in terms of like um, uh, Louis Althusser's concept of like interpolation, where, you know, capital recognizes you on the street and you recognize it back. And so that's how you, you, um, you engage in ideology. Um, by the sort of like hailing technique, uh, it says hi to you and you say hi back. Um, Me every day on the street the saying hello to it. capitalism. Yeah, well, yeah, like when you say when you say hi, like you know, capitalism says like, hey, the coffee. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, oh, here's a sale, and immediately your brain says like, a sale is good because it means I can save money that I can spend mm-hmm. on other things. That that's ultimately like a, a, a soft version of interpolation where like you acknowledge something that ideology is telling you and respond back. And so like that kind of um, sympathetic reaction Mm -hmm. is what Althusser is interested in when he talks about ideology. Um, But also in terms of like the neoliberal version where like recognition becomes the ultimate Mm -hmm. thing. Like, um, uh, you know, I'm Hillary Clinton and I'm chilling out in the (laughs) Twin Cities or whatever. I'm just chilling. Uh, I'm just chilling. Like that kind of recognition where it's just like, okay, that doesn't, we're all mad about it because it's like that can't be the ultimate end yeah. to it. It can't just be. Well, it's like it's like being at a concert 
Like, okay, so, so <laughs> yeah. real quick, um, a yeah. Smash Mouth, the band Smash Mouth, uh, a friend of mine yeah. back in the 90s when we I were know the teens, band Smash Mouth. Uh, HBO had a show, I, th- I think it was HBO, where they would have just bands play. It was just like, you know, concerts and stuff like that. And, you know, we were in the ska scene and the punk scene, and occasionally they'd have like a ska band on there or something. I think we were watching like the Boston's, who, despite there being a joke, the first few Boston's albums are actually extremely good. No, they're, yeah, they're super yeah, good. Yeah, no, Question of the answers and don't know how to party. I will put up is just really good records of kind of weird '90s like punk rock, weird like alternative weirdness. It's so good. But like, um, uh, speaking of coming out of the hardcore scene, but that that band is awesome. But like, so <laughs> we were watching and they had this is Smash Mouth before they were like a hit. They were kind of on there as just kind of like oh, this is a band that maybe had that one song or something. And you know when bands do that thing where they're just like. Hey, you know, like they'll, they'll change a lyric to a song to be like about like Cleveland oh. or something, and like the um, <laughs> the there's worst. there's 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 a part in one of their fucking horrible songs, Smash Mouth, where it's just like, lately I've been thinking about the vices and the prices that I'm gonna have to pay or something like that. But in the content, he's like, that Philly's gonna have to pay, and I was just like. Oh. oh my god! And we just like kept rewinding it and watching it and cringing at it. And that's how I feel <laughs> about half of this like stuff when it's just like the, hey Scott, like the Democrats are nerds like you are, and it's just like shut the fuck up. Like we're not at a concert, yeah. I'm not going to go like woo, you know? It's like <laughs> like who cares? Like I feel like it's like we're supposed to have this response, like you were talking about this, and it is a Colin response. It's a literal Colin response type thing where you were supposed yeah. to go. It's supposed to be like. Hey, last night we were in Cleveland and they thought they could rock, but you guys could. Rock. It's just like <laughs> you guys in Columbus are rocking yeah, way better. It's, like, it's Cleveland so sucks. horrible. It's so bad, and it's yeah. the bad form of being recognized. Right, and like it's it's so tempting to um, the only the only version of that I'll, I'll uh, defend is on um, uh, Bad Religions All Ages record where they have uh, the live version of uh, uh, Fuck Armageddon. This is hell. Where they where they're in San Francisco and they instead of saying uh, how could hell be any worse something 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 curse they say uh, Frisco is a fucking curse <laughs> which I always kind of liked um, this is just mean uh, jeez but, Greg come on yeah Greg Greg was not happy with uh, I, I he grew up in the Bay so yeah. he should he should be a little nicer about it um, Greg Graffin the the person most at fault for me being a dissolute academic. <laughs> oh um, my god! Th- yeah. Thanks how many a lot, careers Greg. He launched. Ugh, how many careers he tanked? <laughs> <laughs> I could I could have been a pharmacist, Greg. But the um, you know the the good form of recognition is this moment where like it's not it's not you it's not the moment where you feel recognized or it can be the moment where you feel recognized, but it's this it has to be this this synthetic or or dialectic moment where like. Not only is someone rec- hoping that you recognize them, uh, what they're saying to you, they're hoping that you respond with a moment of recognition, but also you recognize something in the person that's talking to you too, and it's it's instantaneous. It's a it's a very sort of um, uh, uh, humanizing moment. It's a very, it's a moment where you're saying like, oh, I recognize something in you that I recognize in myself mm-hmm. as well, and I wouldn't have been able to put words to that. And that's, as you say, like it's it's nebulous. It's not material. It's very it's very much uh, something that is rooted in idealism, um, which is why I think Hegel's still important. Um, but that's not podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh no, uh, I only, my my I, I I'm like I can talk Hegel, but not in an informed manner. So we're gonna 
Yeah, it, don't worry. We won't. We won't. It, I, I don't think anyone. I don't wants think Hegel anyone ever wants to talk about Hegel, but I, I think you, you need to find you need to find the other person that wants to talk about Hegel. Um, yeah, there, there has to be some. My my advisor would always talk to me about Hegel, but he's he's all the way half in Chicago, of your half of your audience podcast. right now is just being like Scott's a fake leftist who doesn't even want to talk about Hegel. He doesn't. Oh yeah, I can talk most, about Sartre. I, got, <laughs> I can talk about Camus. We can do that. <laughs> Get out of oh, here, Scott. Man. <laughs> Well, sorry, folks. Scott's bumped off the podcast. Uh, we, we don't truck with no existentialists here, boy. <laughs> at my my last one, my last piece got called. Uh, I I got I got yelled at for being a Nazi with my uh, my piece with uh, Matt Christman. So I really? don't know. Like I'm not sure where I'm at. What? Yeah, Nazi idealism. Oh, so I don't know. Maybe because I brought up Heidegger, <laughs> but you know, my my feelings on Heidegger notwithstanding. Dasein. Um, I'm trying yeah. to remember what, what was. The, is yeah. that the Heideggerian word? Dasein. Yeah, yeah, Dasein, Geist, uh, yeah, we... Heidegger's an asshole, because Zine, he's, Zine, like, turned Zine. on Husserl, right? His, like, mentor? Yeah, he turned... Well, yeah, no, don't don't worry. It, what Regardless of what I think about his philosophy, Heidegger... Yeah, because he was a fucking, like, kind of, like, Nazi in the sense of, like, it, like... Uh, he was, it was a Nazi. Like, some people, I, mean, I remember back when I was, like, really looking into this, uh, people would be like, well, he's not technically a Nazi. I'm like, not technically a no, Nazi no, no, in, no. The, in, in Germany at the time. You... you I'll, I'll fudge it. I'll round up to Nazi. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, don't, you don't have to, you like, you like Emmanuel Levinas do not have to forgive Heidegger. Um, the narc and a Nazi. I think, They're bad to be. Yeah, he's, he's a really bad person. Um, I will, I, I like reading his philosophy and trying to understand it because he's a good philosopher, but being a good philosopher does not mean that you are a good person or that your ideas are uh, socially good. Because um, I I got into him because I liked Sartre a lot. Um, Sartre. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's tons of yeah, and so like Sartre, Sartre kind of taking I think a much better tack uh, in in a lot of ways. Um, stuff yeah, like I, I like I find I actually find Sartre like incredibly emancipatory. Uh, uh, and stuff. Oh yeah, he I mean he's 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 a friend of Fanon, and I think like as depressing as Franz Fanon is, it's like ultimately, uh, Wretched of the Earth is is about like. I think once you get to the end of Wretched of the Earth, the basic takeaway is, and yeah, let's like, let's strike back and take this all back. Mm-hmm. Like, it's time for revolution. There is a, um, there's a, we were talking about the band World Inferno Friendship Society before we were on, mm-hmm. on the air. We're on the air right now. By the way, this is going to be your oh, longest we episode ever. I hope you're fine with that. That's okay. It's, it's <laughs> the, um, but World Inferno Friendship Society, you know, I spent most of my 20s as an anarchist. Um, and I still have a lot of that in there. Uh, but the, um, uh, one of the things I liked about the anarchists is that, if nothing else, they're lively, and they recognize mm-hmm. that even in the futility, you need to be able to party. Basically, <laughs> yeah. No, we're friends. We're friends with uh, the. This podcast is friend okay. to uh, to street I, uh, fight radio. I, I, I've, like, I've, yeah. Since uh, I, I've met a lot of like socialists who are just incredibly hostile to anarchists, and I'm just like, oh, come on, people. If you meet if you meet Brian and Brett, if uh, any of you not listening who aren't following Street Fight or following uh, Brian at Murder Brian and Brett at Brett Payne, I mean, if you know Brian and Brett at all and don't like anarchists as a rule, there's something wrong with yeah. you. They're just like the nicest and funnest. Yeah, it seems like left anarchists basically have almost the exact same program as like a lot of Marxists. Like there's so much Marxism mm-hmm. and it's in anarchism of that sort. Like right anarchism or whatever, I don't, I barely even count as anarchism, but like well, don't don't truck with that. Yeah, yeah, like you know, whatever you want to call anarchism, anarchism, libertarian socialism, whatever, it it has so much of the exact same project. It it is just far, far, far more suspicious of power, which to be honest, I think is a pretty good thing. Um, 
in general. Yes, <laughs> How dare anyway. you? But anyway, we're I'm taking away your taking away your uh, your um, governorship of All games right. in my in my new society. Uh, I'm, I'll be first up against the wall. Uh, That's uh, right. The uh, but uh, World Inferno they're very anarchist uh, kind of friendly uh, and related, and they their 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 music has a lot of this thing of like the yeah like we have the you know the Sark kind of condemned to be free thing right where it's like yeah mm-hmm. sorry you are in this place. And you don't have a choice to not be in this place. And so you need to find ways of taking those spaces. Um, making spaces yeah, into and, something else, okay. be it in your life or be it politically. Um, and I think, I feel like Sartre always like had this thing of like people kind of focus on the emptiness of Sartre, but, and like, uh, and like, yeah, obviously there's a lot of things with Sartre I could critique too, but like the, um, uh, like his his vision of radical freedom, I think, is maybe a bit reductive and shit. But like the um, uh, <laughs> but the whole thing of like the yeah, we are in this position. We can't kind of talk ourselves out of this position. So we actually have some responsibility to figure out what the hell we're actually going to do with it, and some impetus to take ownership of what we are choosing to do with it. And again, that whole permission thing. It's like. Just hearing that is just like, yeah, you know what? This kind of transforms this emptiness, this kind of meaningless uh, meaninglessness I might feel into something that is beautiful because I can't escape it. I have to transform mm-hmm. it into something. You might maybe yeah. picked up a little bit of that night in the woods, but well, yeah, maybe maybe a little. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not really about transfer. No, it's totally about, <laughs> yeah. about all that stuff. Um, <laughs> Um, no, and, 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 you know, the two, I think like, these are my favorite sorts of things, like the, the, the kind of like small tweaks you can make, but you know, the, the one thing I'd say is, so two things, the one thing is you mentioned like whether you change it, uh, politically or at home and there's like, there's something so true about like the home or the self being immediately political. Um, Kathy Acker writes in one of her books, um, in uh, blood and guts in high school and Acker is That's like, a really great not name. well beloved. <laughs> It's really good. Oh, it's, it's you might you should read Blood and Guts in high school. Uh, you might like it. It's 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 weird. Acker's very strange. She's very sexual. She's very um very punk. Very much interested in like uh, getting a reaction. A lot of people do not like her, and I, I don't know if I like her prose or not. But um, Blood and Guts in high school is this really? Uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, sexual assault in it there's a lot of like rape there's a lot of sexual deviancy um deviancy sort of described as deviancy it's a very it's a very uh it's somewhat salacious it's extremely salacious yeah she takes some cues from from uh, the sod and stuff like that i'm sure um but she's she's writing in the 70s she's trying to do something like crazy right um but she's very interesting too because she understands politics she has a good good sense of uh class race gender she's like very smart um, is, is my, uh, position. And one of the things she says in that is that, um, uh, politics ultimately take place in the body. And I think people get upset about that, but the way I read it, and this is, you know, a chapter in my dissertation, so you'll, you'll forgive me for Go indulging, in. but the, yeah, but the way I read that is actually as kind of a lament because like, there's this, there's this ultimate materiality for Acker of like the body is the last thing you have. Like everything's stripped away from her protagonist to the point that like at the end of the book they die in a certain way, whether or not it's metaphorical or, or literal, it's kind of hard to tell from the prose because um, it's mostly kind of poetical. But the, you know, everything is taken away from them dignity, uh, property, identity, 
Um, it's all sort of stripped away through the entire book. And so insofar as politics taking place in the body goes, there's something very freeing about that or something very like hopeful about that insofar as like that's the last thing you have. Like your home, yourself, that that moment, like the individuality there can be read in a in a very sort of profound way as like the the font of of politics, the font of organizing starts with realizing that like, yeah, like my body has some sort of agency to it or my mm -hmm. home has some sort of agency to it. The problem is stopping yeah. there and saying, like, good, it's good enough for me. The thing you actually can do, and I think, like, we're not really, um, you know, hopeful enough about in, on the left at this point, in my opinion, is, like, imagining that, you know, bleeding out into society. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's not the, the, the second thing I'd say is, like, the model's right there. So, like, we talk about Sartre being taken as this sort of, like, navel-gazy existentialist. But Sartre was um, uh, Fred Jameson's teacher. And, you know, whether or not people have read Frederick Jameson or not, uh, this sort of like contemporary uh, Marxism that we have, wherein the the sort of like Hegelian idealism and materialism uh, coexists with this, this very um, orthodox Marxism, you know, I'm sure I'll get killed for this, but that's that's Fred Jameson. Like he he's one of the forebears of that, if not the forebear of that. And he came right from Sartre. So, like, you know, that that individuality or that sort of tragic individuality, if it can lead you to bad mm -hmm. places, but it can also lead it to can lead you to this um, detachment, which, again, actually going mm -hmm. back to hypernormalization, that's his critique is that, like, oh, all these like hipstery artists, they just became kind of like, you know, kind of detached, ironic sarcastic observers and that is certainly a tendency 100 percent. and i think all of us that can happen i think yeah. that's just a part of culture i think all of us are that i mean look at twitter um however there's <laughs> also do. something like oh god this is a sideways reference but mystery science theater 3000 i always found that show really mm. um great because that was a show about like not like sitting still for like all the bullshit that you were being forced to do under like pain of death like, That's a cool way of thinking Mystery about Science, it, actually. I yeah, like that. Thank you. Mystery Science Theater is radical and emancipatory. Um, but the um, but <laughs> that's that's the new tagline the, of my podcast. Uh, emancipatory <laughs> radical theater three thousand. The um, but yeah, I mean, it was very much about like yeah, you're in a position where people are going to kill you if you don't do this thing for them. You're going to die. You're on the satellite that someone else controls, and uh, the um. And the only way that you're going to survive is if you go through all these horrible tasks and you start like they're like tense, like Mike and Joel are like tense. They're like they have like no benefits. There's like right. no respect given to them at all. They're just disposable fodder and they're forced to go do this thing. And Joel makes robots uh, out of it. Like it, it, there's so much about the way that people again create out of these spaces and i don't mean that in like so like the way that this gets bad is when people are like yeah so they're you know make look like make lemonade or lemons or something but it's like no this yeah, is like right, this right, is right, survival right. this pull yourself up by yeah your this isn't like bootstrap stuff this is like we're we're we are condemning the fact that this has to happen at all like we talked about i was talking to someone recently about struggling and how like struggling has become so much a part of our like we talked about this last time the fear it's like the fear becomes so much a mm -hmm. part of you that it can be hard to leave behind or something or the struggle becomes like so much of a part of you that if you're ever in a position where you're not struggling, it's like, who am I anymore? Because you're just, you have been so utterly traumatized by capitalism, basically mm -hmm. that your entire thing 
and motivation is struggling against it. So if you suddenly don't have that anymore, you have to really redefine what you are um, in that way. And so this is not me saying, oh, yeah, therefore he made the, they made the best of it. And so we all can or something. This is like in no way glorifying that 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 struggle. But it is saying that, like, there was something about that where it was like, oh, yeah, like this is something like we can talk back to the screen <laughs> like. Yeah. And and also not I mean, this is some, this is shocking that this is actually like a serious conversation but i I agree with you (laughs) like the you know there's a they you know you think about the line in the theme song like just another face in a red jumpsuit um and then also every time it's movie sign they scream and it's like it's yeah poison gas if i remember correctly poison gas is gonna come and kill them yeah yeah they kind of they kind of work that out in the mike seasons but in the joel seasons yeah it's like poison gas if they don't go to movie sign and like yeah they don't like it they scream and run and, and, and the people with power not... over them with like more material like advantages over them who are in charge who get to basically dictate every aspect of the life hate them like yeah and they're also just as incompetent 100%, it's yeah. not even like you have some sort of like king it's like you get this totally arbitrary power mm-hmm. system and they hate you and want you to feel pain and you're not having fun like the audience yeah. is having fun but it it truly is that tom and jerry universe where like yeah you're having fun in many ways at the expense mm-hmm. of these people but then you add in sort of like that buster keaton style um, knowing wink at the audience where like, yeah, we're in trouble, but we're going to make the best of it in terms of like totally subverting the process. And when I talked about, when I, I brought up world Inferno, there's a, there's this great, and again, so I, we talked actually this is a line in night in the woods. I think that and we, I put, I put this in tonight in the woods and our supplemental game lost consolation, where someone will say something really earnest, but true. And someone will say that's cheesy. And it's just like, yeah, well you can't really, all like the the truest like realist things I think are kind of just cheesy to talk about like you know yeah. if you're like oh I love this person it's like yeah you, you're not always gonna be su- like really clever or and, and like slightly detached from it like sometimes it is just gonna be cheesy but I had a friend today say that he had a moment with his I I don't know how long they've been married I was at the wedding I was the best man so I should know but uh uh my best friend said like, yeah, he, he, he said like, I had a moment with my wife where like I had a, Oh, now I, I, you know, I know why I married you moment. And I texted back. I was like, Oh, he was like, yeah, yeah. move on." <laughs> and it's just, but it is one of those moments. Like he's not that kind of guy, but it was like, that's sweet. Like you're, you're being kind that's of, why I like living on a prayer by Bon Jovi. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's there you so go. Cheesy, We're halfway like, there. Yeah. The whole thing of like, you live for the fight when it's all that you got. It's like basically everything we just <laughs> talked about is just the like, yeah, when all you have is just, this struggle and you are just barely trying to ca- carve a life and, and a space out of it. It's just like, yeah, like yeah. you have to kind of learn how to make that part of who you are and find some sort of respite in it or some sort of grace in it somewhere. Um, and it's a grace that you create. It's not a grace that exists there. People want to, it's like when people like fucking like, I don't know, near a tandem or whatever, being like, well, if you get people, you know, like, you know, people will be much more satisfied with a $20,000 paycheck or $30,000 paycheck than like just a check they get. <laughs> and it's this idea that within that struggle, there's like this, there's this, this goodness that it does for us. Or something. It's like right. no, fuck the, you. The, any good, yeah, the grace of any the struggle. goodness that I have ever, any art that anyone makes out of struggle of this sort against capitalism is completely, completely all credit goes to the people that make it and whatever. Like because right. they're they're exactly. like don't don't fucking give capitalism credit for this. It's like 
we're not blessed by this struggle <laughs> or something. Yeah, we we do our best yeah. to fight it. There's there's this word Inferno yeah. line where they're at a funeral for a friend uh, in like one of their early albums. Uh, actually, an album that contains a song called Night in the Woods. Um, but oh. the uh, where oh the God. guy origin a little story. bit kind of and um the well also that album in, involves uh ne'er-do-well like younger people that learn how to astral project so maybe there's a little mm. there but um <laughs> the but there's this there's this thing where in like in the song he's uh talking about the character is talking about how his sister was this kind of like badass like teen goth witch in high school and it's kind of like cheesy. It's a little bit like, yeah, different. That's cool or something, which is fine. It's a little like on the nose and stuff uh, because mm-hmm. they're you know teenagers and stuff. Like, yeah. there's this really great thing that's just like um, at the end, he's he's like, all right, now all of us we're gonna like live up to my sister's example, right? We're all gonna be people that are you know actually taking risks. We're doing all these all these different things, and we're not go- letting all of this. You know, we're at a funeral, but we're not letting this destroy us. And it was just like, let's, it's like, let's laugh, let's kiss in spite of all this. And then they, it ends with everyone chant, chanting, uh, we know. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, cause we know, we understand now. Like we understand that despite all of this, we have to make something out of it. We can't let this become mm-hmm. our identities. Um, and it's cheesy. And it's like, you can see how that's just like, you know, teenage, like, Hey mom, I'm not going to be like you, but like so much of like our politics is like, you know, to actually be somewhat radical and not like completely lose your mind, you have to carve out this inner space that is just like, yeah, this is, there are elements of this struggle that I can't really, I don't have access to completely subverting all of these things and reclaiming these spaces. So I, I have to really pretty much regularly tell myself like, yeah, like no matter what, even though it seems like I'm at a funeral half the time in some sort of way politically <laughs> or as a world i mean god does not feel like the truth in 2017 like sure it, yeah of course i mean it's been like this always but like particularly this year it's just in our faces a lot more like we're always it's just one catastrophe after another it's in it's in our faces and um the uh we have to at some point look at each other and go yeah we have to live we have to be able to laugh <laughs> and carve out that space. And there is something that is, that is a part, I think of material politics. You can't just like, yeah, just passionately list off all the things that we need. We have to be able to be, we can't just be wonks about it. <laughs> we have to actually be able to <laughs> laugh and, cry God and joke about this. And yeah, I, I was going to say we're hilariously on the topic of Kentucky Route Zero right now. And if you want to find out how we get back on the topic, tune in next week. Or if you want it earlier, subscribe to Patreon uh, or my Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. This whole episode plus extra Q&A with Scott and all of our other guests are available every time the podcast releases. Um, So please stay tuned. Thanks for listening. And I hope you uh, enjoy the first and second parts of this very special podcast. World Inferno Friendship Society, take us away. Take a walk with me, I'll 
Show up.